Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, and what a privilege it is to have this opportunity to share with you from the Word of God. Uh, For those of you here in the sanctuary, there are Bibles under your seats. Uh, You uh, can use them if you want, if you don't have one, and you are certainly welcome to take them home uh, if you need them. For the past several weeks and the past several sermons, uh, both Pastor Josh and Pastor Steve have mentioned Jesus' conversation with the disciples uh, during the Passover meal in the upper room. And it comes from John uh, 14. If you're using one of those Bibles, that's on page uh, 867. Um, And it'll also be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 6 of chapter 14. Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say Show us the Father. That question of who Jesus is really hasn't changed all that much over the last 2,000 plus years. You hear it said in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's genuine. Sometimes it's uh, the result of false teaching. And sometimes it's it's a lack of understanding. But really it's the same question that's been around since Jesus' day. Was Jesus a great teacher, a good or great philosopher, a good man, or is he the son of God? You know, C.S. Lewis is oftentimes quoted as saying, Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord. And today, some people would add a legend. Who Jesus is matters. And make no mistake, how you answer that question has eternal consequences. Let me pray. Lord, open our eyes today so that we might see you. Open our ears so that we can hear your word and stir us, Lord, so that what we see and what we hear would help us to walk ever closer to you. May my words be true and they may, be of you. may they be of you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When the Apostle Paul was writing his letter to the uh, church in Colossae, he was facing a growing uh, crisis in the church. You see, there was a crisis of truth about who Jesus was. It wasn't just in the Colossae church, it was in many of the churches. False teachers were actually following Jesus around from town to town, trying to teach the converts, the new converts, a different gospel. Some were Judaizers trying to convince the Christians that Jesus and Paul were were some sort of rogue rabbis and that they had to obey the law. Some were what they called Gnostics, and Gnostics were a group of folks with various ancient religious backgrounds and ideas who emphasized spiritual knowledge over church teaching and traditions and the doctrines that Paul was teaching And they were saying that Jesus either wasn't the son of God at all or that he was a spirit and not a human at all. And really it isn't all that different from what 
the crisis in the church in America or the church throughout the world faces today. We have a crisis of truth. There's a, a lot of confusion and misunderstanding and quite honestly, just outright false teaching about who Jesus is. So to answer the question who Jesus is, I want us to jump over to uh, Colossians chapter one, page 950 if you're in that pew Bible. Um, in, in chapter one, the apostle Paul gives what is one of the most specific, detailed, and I think the most beautiful descriptions in all of scripture of who Jesus is and the power he has as the son of God. So take a look starting in verse 15 uh, through 20 and let's see what Paul teaches us about who Jesus is. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, whether thrones, uh, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Man, what a beautiful passage. What a beautiful description of who Jesus is. Amen? So to answer the question of who is Jesus, we just need to look at those first three verses, 15, 16, and 17. Paul says that he is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word that Paul uses for image would be icon. Does that word sound familiar to anybody? Icon. The word icon uh, used to mean a painting or a picture or a statue or some kind of figure that was used as an aid to devotion in the Catholic and, and Byzantine and even the uh, Orthodox or Eastern churches. The cross behind me here is a sort of icon. The stained glass windows and the pictures in them, they are sorts of icons. Uh, we don't really worship the cross. We don't worship the stained glass windows. But in a way, those things aid us or help us to remind us what Christ did for us or who he was. Those are icons. Icon can also mean someone who is highly respected in a, in a particular field or, or business world. Uh, you, I think of example for, uh, of Bill Gates. He's an icon in the computer world. Jeff Bezos is an icon in the business world. Lee Iacocca was an icon in the industrial world. Today, an icon is a graphic on your computer screen or, or on your, on your uh, uh, cell phone. And if we put all of those thoughts together, uh, we begin to get a sense of the word, but it still falls just a little bit short of the word as Paul would have used it in the Greek. It's a little bit short of that meaning. So not only was uh, icon the closest word in Greek for a picture or a portrait, but it also had a cultural inference as well. 
When a legal document was drawn up, uh, an IOU or a contract or a receipt for something, there needed to be a way to identify the people who were involved in that agreement. Today, we use things like uh, social security numbers or the last four numbers of your digit, uh, or they'll use uh, a picture ID or signature. A lot of your cell phones now use uh, biometrics. My brother's uses his thumbprint. Some of them will use uh, facial recognition or iris scans. Well, back before all that was available in, in Jew Greek and Jewish culture, they used a description that would help to identify the person involved so that there wouldn't be any mistake about who this contract was actually between. That would include physical characteristics, it might be scars, or even places of residence, right? So think about um, it, um, the person's name. John, son of Jesse, or Jesse... Ben John, it's a, that means John, son of Jesse. You knew who, which John you were talking about because you were talking about John, son of Jesse. In fact, my name, Kostelansky, in Czechoslovakian, means Kostela, which is son of Kostel. So, and it means church people, by the way. Just a little curious side note. It might include an occupation like Matthew, the tax collector, or a city like Joseph of Arimathea. The Greek word for that legal description was an icon. So in other words, when they wrote a contract, it had to include in it an icon. Now, for those people who were reading Paul's letter in the day, they would have understood when he wrote, Jesus is the icon of the invisible God, that he bears the name of God and he has the characteristics or distinguishing marks of God. And Paul actually does the really coolest thing. He says, if you want to see God, he says, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is that. He is the icon of God. And he actually uses an icon to prove his point in verse 16 and 17 when he talks about the distinguishing characteristics of God. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. When you think of creation today, when you think of creation, who do you think of? Who does the Bible say created everything? In the beginning, God, right? Because the scriptures attribute the acts of creation to God. In verse 17, Paul writes, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Well, who does the scriptures teach us holds everything together? God. So who is Paul saying Jesus is? Who is Paul saying Jesus looks like? God. He has all the characteristics. He is the image of God. Jesus is the icon, the exact representation of God. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews says it's much better than I can. In chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers and, uh, to, and prophets many times and in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. So you see, the apostles were really clear about who Jesus was. 
and is, and they made it clear in the scriptures. He is, in any way you want to say it, the very essence of God. Amen? Amen. Well, by now, you might be saying uh, to yourself, okay, Pastor Chris, I knew that. I get it. Or you might be saying, I, I got to go home and check that out. But the real question is this, at least to my mind, is why does it matter? Why did I just take, you know, 10 or 12 minutes to, to point out to you that he's the icon of God? I've been talking about that long, so I want you to do me a favor, without talking and without getting into conversations, I just want you to stand up for a second. Go ahead, stand up. And look around the room, like turn around, look at the person beside you, look at the person behind you, you know, look at, look at someone else in the room, look at them, look at their face, just take a look at them. Oh, great, good. Thanks for not talking. I appreciate that. Okay, you're going to have a seat. Who do they look like? How many, how many of you say, well, the person that I was looking at kind of looks a lot like me? Or kind of looks a lot like his mother or her mother, or kind of looks a lot like their grandfather or their uh, uh, grandmother. Who do they look like? Could you tell what kids belong to what parents by looking at them? Maybe they look like you. Maybe they look like your husband, your wife, or a brother or sister. How many of you have uh, parents have uh, heard someone say, "Oh, your child looks so much like you. He has Jimmy's ears." And poor little Jimmy's like. Right? People, people tell me, they say, your daughter looks so much like you. And I'm like, poor kid, right? Man, what a, what a saddle to hang on her. Anyway, did you know, did you know that the people that you were just looking at are more like God than anything else in the universe? Look at that person again. Look at the person next to you. They are more like God than anything else in the universe because only people are created in the image of God. Your dogs, your cats, your pets are not created in the image of God. They're created by God, but not in his image. Not the trees, not the rocks, not the lakes, not the mountains, nothing. In all of the cosmos is created in the image of God except people. There's nothing else. Only people are created in the image of God. I didn't make that up. And listen, if people are created in the image of God, then we might want to start reconsidering the way we think about some other people, amen? Because that homeless guy that you see hanging down around down by sheets, that, that uh, person that you see outside of General Dollar every time you pull up, that woman at Walmart who's struggling with the three kids that are kind of driving her nuts. That politician who just made your life a little bit harder. That cop who pulled you over on the way to church this morning. Yeah. All created in the image of God. Every one of them created in the image of God and more like him than anything else in the universe. They're all image bearers of the Most High. Now we know, don't we, that the primary problem with people, no matter who you are, is that even though we're all created in the image of God, we all, every one of us, have a fallen nature. What the Bible calls a sin nature. Romans 7, 14, Paul says, 
So the trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble was with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. Boy, could I be writing this message, this, this sentence as myself. Anyone else? I don't really understand myself because I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. See, and that is the sinful nature that is all too free in all of us all too often. In verse 18, Paul continued, he said, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what your sins are, and I don't necessarily want to know. I don't know what your weaknesses are, but I know mine. And when I look at myself, and I look at Jesus, and I compare myself to Jesus, I fall far short of that mark. Amen? You see, it's easy for us to compare ourselves to other people, isn't it? Many of us can have this attitude that sounds something like, I may be a sinner, but I'm not as big a sinner as so-and-so. Now, you would never say that out loud, right? None of us would ever say that out loud. But if you're honest with yourself, as some of you I see are, you have thought it in your mind. And if you're comparing yourself to the guy down on the corner or the people down the block or the guy on TV, maybe you aren't as big a sinner as they are. But that is exactly how the Pharisees thought, and look what they got. Is that what you want? You see, take a second, take a minute. Think about the most godly person you know or the most godly person you can think of besides Jesus, right? the most godly person that you can think of. How many of you thought of Mother Teresa? How about Billy Graham? No one thought of Billy Graham? How about um, Andy Stanley? He's big in the Methodist church, right? Andy Stanley. Chris Kostolansky. <laughs> most godly people you know, right? Well, let me tell you a secret. Every one of those people are sinners. Now, they're sinners saved by grace, but sinners all the same. If you put those people on a scale, you might say, well, you know, Mother Teresa, she's way there, up there on that scale compared to me. Like, she's, she's more holy than I am. She's, a, she's gooder than I am. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> But they're all still sinners, especially the last guy on that list. I know him. The only Jesus is without sin, amen? And every one of them, every person you just thought of, whoever it was, grandma, grandpa, whoever it was, has one thing in common. They all need Jesus. Because without Jesus, all those good and great things they do are worthless in God's economy. 
The Apostle Paul teaches this truth in Romans 7, 21. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I like the, I like the New American Standard Version that says, wretched man that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Y'all ought to be clapping and cheering and waving your hands right now. See, without Jesus, on a scale of one to zero, or one to ten, I mean, on a scale, I'm a zero. Because no matter what I do, I don't, if I don't have Jesus, I'm absolutely lost and without hope. You see, friends, Jesus is the one who makes all the difference. Jesus is the one who makes all the difference. When I grew up, this was, this was the Christian's high five sign. One way. Jesus is the one. All us Jesus freaks. Back in the early 70s, Jesus is the one. He makes all the difference. He is the one who really matters because without him, I am nothing. Just a big old fat zero. I'm a sinner. But when I have Jesus, amen? When I have Jesus and he's at my side, I'm a 10. Can I get an amen? I am a 10 because when you take the one and you put it next to the zero, you get a 10. With him, I am a 10. With him, you are a 10 because you have the one living in you. And if he is living in you, you have all the attributes and all the characteristics of your father. You look like him. Even though you're a sinner, when God looks at you, who does he see? He sees his son in you. When he looks at you, he sees the one who died on the cross for you because you look like him, because he is in you. You are a 10. Jesus told the disciples in John 14, back where we really began this whole thing, he said, in a little while, you'll see me no longer, but you will, but you will see me because I live. I'm, it's, I'm sorry, I messed that up. After a little while, the world will see, will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are on me, and I am in you. And friend, if you have Jesus living in you, you have everything you need in this life and the next. Do you see him now? Do you see who Jesus is? God in the flesh. For God made flesh, my Lord, my God, my Savior, and yours. And he is the only hope for all those lost souls out there in the world, no matter who they are or where they are, no matter what they've done. Jesus is the only hope in their world. Let me pray. Father, thanks for being here in this room with us today. Father, thank you again for stirring your spirit inside of us. 
Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this room today, that others would see you before they see us and they would know your name before they know our name. And Lord, I pray you give us the courage to go forth and show people Jesus. I pray it in your precious and holy name, even Jesus. Amen.